came up with a, a guest referral bonus. So if you come in as a guest and we, we promoted it and you really want to be a part of norms, well, help us hire someone that you, uh, that you know that would be a, a good co-worker with us and be vested with norms. And we'll give you a $200 norms voucher, which is good at norms for $200 worth of product. And uh, you can use it over an extended period of time. And, and then maybe you come in and maybe your friend, your brother or sister is working as well. And you're, you're really helping an individual, you're helping yourself and you're helping our company serve you better. Welcome, guys, to an all-new year. Welcome to 2022. You know, looking back on 2020 and 2021, the hardest years we've ever had to face as operators. I don't need to tell you that this pandemic obviously has decimated and continues to cause huge upheaval in our industry. But the future looks bright, and if you're still in there, if you're hanging on, and if you've done all you can, and if you've been creative, then kudos to you onward and upward in the new year. Now, our goal with this podcast is continually to bring you information that will help you up-level and inspire and help you run a more profitable, more successful restaurant operation. So this episode is no exception. We've compiled a group of people, industry experts, operators, and, and leaders in the industry that have their best advice and best practices to offer you on the most pressing issue now, which is the labor crisis. Now, we put together a show, my friend and fellow colleague, Jamie Oichel and I of RunningRestaurants.com have compiled a list of 22, I believe, different experts that have their, again, best advice on how to tackle the labor crisis. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be putting these together in a series of podcast episodes. But in the meantime, all you need to do is go to restaurantlaborcrunch.com. You'll see a compilation of all of those. But again, we're pulling out the best pieces, the best advice, and compiling them all for you. So grab a pen and paper. Stay tuned. This is a powerful episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, let me tell you about Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed for restaurateurs by restaurateurs. Effective labor management is more important than ever to maximize profit and success, especially now as restaurants begin to reopen and expand their teams. Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trust, turning your team into a competitive advantage to your business. Right now, Restaurant Rockstar's listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started now at sevenshifts.com forward slash restaurant rockstars. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com forward slash restaurant rockstars to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Now, on with the episode. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch. And with me today, Mr. Joshua Capel. Now, he's an old friend. He's a fellow industry professional and operator. He is also founder and president of Million Dollar Restaurant and in-house delivery. And uh, welcome to the show, Joshua. You're kind of the renaissance man. You've got so much going on at any <laughs> given time. And you've done some amazing things. And I've always been sort of in awe of your approach to running restaurants and your approach to creating businesses. And you're certainly an entrepreneur and an impresario and all that sort of thing. So anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Flattery will get you everywhere with me. <laughs> I uh, it, Honestly, man, it, it all seems all over the place. But at the end of the day, all I've always been trying to do the same thing, which is just solve my own problems. And as a restaurant owner and operator, I, I mean, it's it, if we worked every day to solve the problems that we tackle on a daily basis, we'd never run out of things to fix. Yeah. I mean, it's an all-consuming business. I don't need to tell anyone that. And this pandemic has really turned everything and everyone upside down. And just when you thought it was over, it's like, it's still going on, you know, the variant and the labor crisis, which came, well, that's been going on for a long time too, but literally it happened in the middle of the pandemic. And that's something that restaurants are struggling with, even as they continue to struggle with COVID restrictions and all that other crazy stuff. But business is booming now, you know, restaurants are back and customers are back. And unfortunately, restaurants are finding that they have to close certain hours on certain days. They close early, they close days, and it's like they just don't have the staff to meet the demand. So they're losing money again because we're not optimizing our opportunities. So, you know, why you're here is really, you're an operator, you've got clients with uh, in-house delivery, million dollar restaurant. It's like you've got eyes and ears and you're just a great sounding board and perspective on this problem. So why don't you tell us what you've seen, what you've heard, what's been working, and then we'll get into, uh, you know, in-house delivery and million dollar restaurant. Sounds great. Um, so two things, high level. I, I think that to start, we've been asking ourselves the wrong questions. And I think we've been asking, you know, how do we hire more people? How do we convince people to work for us. And, and what we've seen great success in is asking better questions. Like what do employees want? Um, and the answer we found by and large is surprisingly simple. They want what you want, Roger. They want what I want. They want financial security and they want subsidized healthcare and they want a retirement plan. And they, they want to understand why they should work in the restaurant industry, not what they get from it, but what kind of meaning it's going to bring to their life. Because I would argue that lifers like you and I, we didn't get into this for the money and the glory because there's not a whole lot of that to go around. Um, we got into this because we truly love service. And, and I think that the solution to all of this is, is something that doesn't exactly scale, which is taking the time either in advertisements or on social to explain why we open the restaurant, what we're trying to accomplish, high level, which isn't money, um, and, and, and trying to indoctrinate people into that belief system, trying to find people whose values match ours. Wow, that's a whole fresh perspective and approach for sure. Yeah, you know, the word value comes up and the word, you know, meaningful employment, not just financial security and benefits, all that is important, of course, but meaningful employment where your voice matters and you know that you can bring up an idea and it'll be listened to, maybe even executed. And maybe there's a reward attached to it too. If, you know, in my restaurants and, you know, I can't speak for yours, but one of the, one of the recognition and rewards programs we had was a regular monthly meeting where we got everyone together, like in a meeting room, 
and we'd throw stuff at the wall. You know, you'd have those flip charts and no idea was a crazy idea. And literally hundreds of ideas would be written down. And we'd look at them and we'd all decide as a group, which one sounds like it might be executable and might have a return on investment to it. And it could be cost savings within the restaurant. It could be new marketing ideas, new profit centers, whatever it was. And we did this every month, every year, you know, and granted, okay, so we had a seasonal place. We did it four times a year, but you'd be surprised. No, you probably wouldn't be surprised at how many really I, I good ideas, right? I, I mean, that your employees come up with. So I, look, I, I think that it's rather than elevating ourselves to the level of like all knowing master, right? I think that if we just show our work and we're incredibly transparent and we say, this is our newest initiative, this is why I think it'll work. Let me know what you think. Let me know how it goes. When it becomes a collaborative effort, it works. But let's also let, let's also roll all the way back. So before they're even working for us, because that's really the root of the labor crisis, right? It's trying to lure people in and we're trying to give people jobs and we're trying to pay for these jobs as if they're gigs and it just doesn't work. When you look at a company like Chick-fil-A, which regardless of their politics, which I'm not a huge fan of, I am a huge fan of their company culture. I uh, I drove by a Chick-fil-A a couple of years ago and they had a sign in the window and the sign said, if you have a servant's heart, apply within. We're hiring. Oh, I like that. And I thought to myself, that probably turns off 90% of the people that see it. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to be a servant. Nobody certainly wants to be a professional servant. But for the people that get it, for the 10% that do, for the 10% that it resonates with, Mm -hmm. they have pre-selected, right? They've pre-selected their market. The people that are applying already meet their values requirements. And so why why don't we do that? In that Craigslist ad that you post, why don't you say, I truly believe in giving the highest level of service. I truly believe that everyone should leave happy. And I take pride in being able to participate in people's holidays and birthdays and anniversaries and see what you get. That's a great idea. You know, you're speaking about the true meaning of hospitality and cutting out the wheat from the chaff and, you know, the A's, the B's and the C team that are in every restaurant. But unfortunately, there's far too many C's. I talk about this all the time. And unfortunately, so many restaurants, I know you're seeing it too, are just hiring any warm body. And these C players are showing up when they show up. And half the time they're calling in and half the time, you know, they're just there for the paycheck. It's not that they care about serving the public. It's not that they care about hospitality or or your customers your guests i should say so yeah somehow you gotta pre-select and that's a that's a brilliant idea i mean sure not just look for anybody well and we can talk about the things that bad employees do sometimes but we should also focus on what bad employees do all the time which is demotivate your a players for sure it's if, Mm -hmm. if you're standing next to someone that's half assing everything it does not inspire you to be better and so, you know, the, the question that all of this begs is, you know, what, what clearly defines what a great player is? And there are really only two qualities. And this is backed by data from uh, Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great. The best employees in the world, they self-manage and they self-motivate. And, and we don't have the bandwidth anymore to beg people to show up on time, in uniform, ready to work. There need to be deal breakers. And as scary as it is to terminate someone for simply not showing up on time with consistency, we need to have a zero tolerance policy that's explained beforehand and that inspires compliance, not because they're afraid of getting fired, but because internally 
They're motivated to do great work. And internally, they are enthusiastic about serving others. For sure. And, you know, there is also that pitfall of if you don't have that zero tolerance policy, then suddenly your your staff, your employees are running the place, not you, you know, and then every little thing slips along the way. And then your good employees start getting weaker and it brings the morale down to the whole team. You're absolutely right about that. For sure. Well, and, and I think that it, hmm. it, it it brings us to the next point, which is profitability, because I don't think as an industry, we're underpaying and not offering any benefits because we're selfish and we're greedy and we're sitting in these mansions at the top of hills exactly. with beautiful views. Right, it's right. not that. It's all a function of profitability. And we would all pay $50 an hour to people if we had more than enough money to do it. And I'm not being hyperbolic. You don't care how much money you pay your people as long as you're making enough money too. But you as a restaurant owner and operator probably aren't making enough to thrive and neither is your team. And so I, I think when we look at the labor crisis, we also have to look at the drivers of profitability and say, are we running our restaurants the right way? Which is why I started Million Dollar Restaurant to take uh, everyday restaurants across the country to that million dollar mark within a year. Let's talk a little bit more more about million dollar restaurant because again, you're a multifaceted entrepreneur. You got a lot of different companies and things going, and this is your latest venture. And um, the audience would like to hear about it. Sure, uh, it like everything else is a selfish endeavor. You know, it, it's having made it to the top of the heap, becoming Michelin rated, having a, a multi million dollar bar concept for over ten years in Hollywood. I made it to the top and I'm here to tell you the view wasn't great. It was hard. It was hard every single day. And so even though I had achieved success by worldly standards, it was a grind. And when the pandemic hit, I began to ask important questions like, is there a way for this to be easier? Is there a way to create structure and balance in my life? Is there a way to be successful both internally and externally? And what I found was, it's all a function of profitability and profitability is really only driven by three levers. Tell us about those. I remember we had a discussion about this the other day and I think it's really interesting. Tell us about well, the levers. <laughs> uh, so the first one is revenue and, and you know, they, there, there are three essential components to revenue. One is your current revenue model. And are you bringing in money today? Everyone thinks, Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll begin to make a profit once I hit X, Y, or Z. But, you should always be making money at almost any revenue level. And so we've got to look at your revenue model and say, are you profitable and how do we get you there? Um, the second lever is increasing income. And that has nothing to do with marketing and everything to do with answering the question, are you absorbing 100% of the demand for your business? Are you turning away business without knowing it? Are you maxed out on capacity on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays? Isn't it amazing that most of us as owner and operators, we spend all of our time wringing our hands trying to figure out how to get busy on a Monday when we probably have an extra five grand sitting on the weekends, untapped, ready to be collected. It blows my mind. And then the third is, and I think this is really one of the realizations that came out of the pandemic for a lot of us, we have to diversify revenue. We need to know that whether it rains or not, whether we're snowed in or not, that we're going to make money that day. And so if you're rocking two to three revenue streams, great, but it should be six. And I can point to dozens of examples of multi-million dollar concepts that are bringing in money every day, half a dozen ways. 
So revenue is that first driver. I've always been a huge believer in multiple profit centers, and that's kind of how you're perfectly segueing into in-house delivery, because we did a huge delivery business with my restaurants for years and years and years. And now you've got a platform that is turnkey if a restaurant chooses to go full turnkey, or you've got a system that helps them set up delivery in their own operation. Do you want to tell us about in-house delivery? Sure. I, uh, so when third-party delivery came on the scene, I was as relieved as the next guy. I had never done delivery for any of my concepts because I didn't want to hire the drivers because it was too difficult to predict when I would need them or how I would need them. And so when third-party delivery hit the scene, I was relieved. I thought, my God, this is the infrastructural solution that I've been looking for. But it's not. It's a marketplace. Like every other marketplace, charging me a premium for access to customers I've already earned. And that to me was a tragedy. And so Mm, I wouldn't argue the fact that those marketplaces do a great job of driving new business your way. But the flip side of that is you never really get to own it through the platform. You're always paying that commission. And so I asked myself the question, what if I just built that infrastructural solution to handle the repeat business? What if I just gave people the drivers or their ability to use their own team as drivers? Um, what if what if we just put that out there? Would that resonate? And it did. And so now there are thousands of restaurants across the country using in-housedelivery.com to get access to our on-demand pool or to leverage their own employees, or we're about to release a hybrid where you can use both as overflow to facilitate the deliveries of repeat business that they're getting through their on, own online ordering portal. Yeah, the pandemic has really shifted the whole need for delivery, the need for, you know, curbside, because, you know, so many restaurants, just about every restaurant had massive restrictions, closed dining rooms. It's like you either pivoted instantly or you were done. And, you know, those that are still standing right now are doing online ordering. Hopefully they're doing delivery, but they haven't, you know, if they haven't done delivery yet, then here's a a viable solution that, you know, that should be checked out. So I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. My pleasure, man. Look, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to build the future that I want to live in myself. Well, it's obvious that you've led your businesses by example. You've created some really wonderful enterprises. You've got great people and great stories. You've been through the pandemic. You know, I've been through the pandemic. You've pivoted a hundred times. So have we. What's your best advice now if operators have made it this far and they're just really beaten up and they're just, you know overwhelmed with what do I do next? It's like, what's your best advice? I mean, the light is at the end. We can see it. You know, if you've made it this far, you got to dig deep. What would you say? Delegate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the greatest lesson of my life. You know, they say that if you don't have a support system, if you don't have an assistant, you are your own assistant. And for me, I spent most of my career waiting to do that until I had actually had enough money. I was like, you're going to go in the hole, do this. You know, I think someone else is taking money out of my own pocket, but how do you grow? And, and the question that I had to ask myself is, am I doing my level best at everything I'm doing? And am I doing the things that I'm best in the world at, or am I doing those things plus a bunch of other stuff that I'm mediocre to terrible at, you know? And, and what I found is in investing in teams, in investing in support, whether the money is there or not, the money will come. It is because again, you can't look at things like marketing as an expense. 
Marketing done well makes you money. It doesn't cost you money. Bringing in a great management team doesn't cost you a penny. If it's the right people, they will they will get you an exponential return on your investment. The people listening might not be cheap, but I certainly was for most of my career. I always underspent and quit early. And both of those are critical mistakes that I see a lot. And so I would argue that if you're overwhelmed, you need to delegate out and bring in enough support to get that whelm to just the right level. And then you'll excel because you're in your your core, your sphere of genius, right? Doing what you're best in the world at. And you're surrounding yourself with people that are doing the same. The last thing I'll say about this, Roger, um, and then I'll get off my soapbox, is we uh, we were lied to, all of us, for the last 50 to 100 years. We, we all were indoctrinated into this industry and, and told that, you know, the hospitality industry is different and we can't abide by the same rules as everyone else. And, you know, our profitability matrices are different than everyone else's. And you can't apply the lessons from other industries into this one. And it's not true. The most successful people in this industry are running their businesses in the same way that everyone that's successful in every other industry is doing. So if we stop running restaurants, if we start running businesses, I think we'll be in a much better place. Thank you for saying that. You know, that's one of my mantras. It's like, don't run a restaurant, build a business, build a business and build a brand. And I appreciate your transparency earlier. That was really, really wonderful to share, you know, mistakes that you've made that others can avoid. And you're adding great value to the industry and you added great value to this call with our audience. So thanks for being with us today, Joshua. It's my pleasure. I, it, it, is, it is the greatest honor of my life to transition from serving communities to serving my own industry. Fantastic. Well, we'll see you again, I'm sure, in upcoming shows. This is the worst situation to hit this industry since the pandemic. We're not out of the woods yet on the pandemic, but the labor shortage everyone is struggling with. So we're pleased to uh, introduce leading operators and speakers that can help with the labor challenge. With me today, Mr. Mike Colonna. He is the CEO of Norm's Restaurants, a very uh, successful chain in Southern California, iconic chain. Welcome to the show, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing well. Good. Thank, thanks for having me on, Roger. Appreciate it. I'm glad that you're taking the time because, you know, you're definitely one of those leading individuals in this industry that gives back, that cares about the future of the industry, not just running restaurants, but helping other operators. So this is all about the labor crunch. So tell us how that's gone for you. You've got a really innovative, innovative promotion I want to ask you about in a few minutes, but tell us how the labor challenge has affected Norm's restaurants, how you've dealt with that and any, you know, any advice, best practices that you can offer our audience. We certainly appreciate that. Sure. And, and anyone doing business in California know it's been a real roller coaster uh, in terms of, of the ride, whether it's been the federal mandates, the uh, the state, the county, the cities, you know, you've got multiple layers. So, uh, you know, we were originally at uh, uh, 18 restaurants uh, with 2000 employees, team members, and we furloughed uh, almost 1400 of them to go down to 600, back up to 700, back down to 300. And we're at right now currently uh, about fifteen to sixteen hundred team members, um, and that 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 was a challenge in itself. You know, trying to hold on to people and bring them back after you furlough them and keep it in contact with them. And so our HR department and our marketing department was constantly in touch with people 
saying, hang in there. You know, when we get our dining rooms back, we want, we want you to come back. You know, are you interested? That type of thing. And we were able to bring back um, quite a lot of the tenured um, team members that, that we had. Um, I've been in the business for about f- almost 40 years, believe it or not, as a, as a kid. Uh, put my, myself through college uh, as a bartender and a server, and then with multiple great companies. And uh, I've never seen it this bad ever. And, and the reason for that, it's, it's, like, it's like you open up a new restaurant and you have 50 new restaurants opening up at the same time in the same neighborhood. So everybody is hiring to a higher extent. So, so, the, so the, the demand is just, um, you know, potent right now. And then the supply is, is very low. So, uh, so it's, it's, it's been tough, very tough. But uh, we're getting through it. We opened up two restaurants, one in Encino and one in Rialto recently, we were able to staff them with um, about a hundred team members each. Amazing. Um, and, and we're getting there. We're, we're really struggling to be honest with you, candid with you uh, on the graveyard shift. You know, Norms wants to be back 24 seven in most locations. And that, that's been our, our, our biggest challenge as well as back of the house. The, the kitchen staff has been, has been difficult for us. Have you had to um, pay higher wages, incentives, bonuses, unusual things? Because other industries traditionally have paid higher wages. This has traditionally been a lower paying industry. There, we had the unemployment challenge with the extra federal money. It kept a lot of people home, making more in some cases than they were working in the restaurants. I mean, all these challenges have affected this this business. And now that we're getting people back, I mean, obviously, it's not sustainable to continue to pay you know, 18, 19, $20 an hour starting wages plus benefits, which other industries are paying. How are you coping with that? Well, we, we, we are play, paying slightly higher uh, because of the pressure of the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to maintain our business model um, in, in terms of affordability and also our margins as we look in the future. So I think there's some companies that candidly are making mistakes by paying huge um, long-term incentives and bonuses and rates. And at some point when this settles down, you know, uh, they may be a little stuck in the mud Yes. Uh, versus trying to manage through it in an in a orderly fashion. Now, we are paying higher rates and we're very competitive. You know, in California, there's no tip credit. So servers, bussers, cashiers, everybody makes $15 an hour minimum. Uh, other states, you might make 4 or $5 because of the tip credit. So Correct. So, I'm used so, to that in my state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not not a bad starting wage, but um, but especially in the kitchen pressures, uh, we're very busy. So we we need cooks, line cooks, and prep cooks that can ha- handle high volume, and and that takes a talent. So so um, it, it has moved it up a little bit. But we're, we're working on referral and retention. You know, um, if you only work on one, um, you know, referral is part of the recruitment p- process. But the retention is really paramount because if you churn, we call it churn. If you yes, right. churn through the same employees, like normally most restaurants have a staff of 30 solid people that have been there forever uh, for a long period of time that are talented, that know what they're doing. And then you tend to churn the secondary staff as you try to build a larger stable um, pool. Uh, so we're working on a, 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 a recruiting bonus, a referral bonus as well as we have a retention bonus for our existing team members, as well as if, uh, as well as the new, new team members. So it's, it's really, we're trying to hit um, all levers. So if you work for norms and you've been with us for a while, 
you hang in there with us. You make sure you do your job, and uh, we'll reward you with pay. We have um, – I'll talk about other benefits in a second, but but you'll get a referral bonus right around Christmas time to say thank you for staying with us for – it's a one-time payout. And then and then we have a, a – um, uh, that's a retention bonus. Then we have the referral bonus for if they refer somebody, you know, they can get a $500 stipend. Uh, but the but the team member has to last uh, over ninety days, so that that takes care of the existing employees. Um, and then for the for the new team members that we're trying to recruit, um, there's a retention bonus for them too. So if you hang in there for for a period of time again into into 2022, you know we'll we'll, we'll pay you well, we'll treat you well, and then you'll get a stipend. That and and I like the one time stipends because what it does is it it fades as you move the business um, into 2022 and you're not burdened with all these higher, much higher rates or, or extended type of things. And, and so it's working out pretty well. Um, the, the, the last thing that we did is we, we came up with a, a guest referral bonus. So if you come in as a guest and we, we promoted it and you really want to be a part of norms, well, help us hire someone that you uh, that you know that would be a, a good coworker with us, and be vested with norms, and we'll give you a two hundred dollar norms voucher, which is good at norms for two hundred dollars worth of product, and uh, you can use it over an extended period of time, and and then maybe you come in and maybe your friend, your brother, or sister is working as well, and you're you're really helping an individual, you're helping yourself, and you're helping our company serve you better. So that's that's been that's been kind of kind of cool in terms of of the reaction and the response from the from the guest community in terms of of how this whole thing works. Let me ask you, Mike. That is a genius idea. That's what first struck me when I heard about that. I mean, what a great idea! And that's literally internal marketing. How are you promoting this to your customer base? And then, what is the time frame? You mentioned ninety days on the other bonuses. Is it ninety days that this new employee has to work out at Norms before the two hundred dollars gift card is passed on? Yeah. And how how do you communicate all this information? Everything is geared around ninety days because mm -hmm. it, it takes about two to three weeks to train someone. Of course. And figure out um, if they want to stay with you and also if they're capable of doing doing the uh, uh, doing the job. So and then we have to get a little return as far as some some normal scheduling and, you know, that type of thing. So 90 days is kind of the cutoff that we think is pretty fair. And it's not too long for anybody to wait patiently for either five hundred dollars or a, a two hundred dollar uh, stipend, that type of thing. Now, we communicate it through. Um, social media to the outside community. We have a lot of POP point of purchase uh, at the front door. Uh, we have flyers that we pass out tip trays, um, flyers that we give to the guests. So that's how we're communicating to the guest. And 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 that, that's worked out pretty well. As far as the employee team, um, you know, we, we, we communicate to them on a regular basis with bulletins and posters. And then HR came up with a great text messaging uh, platform. So we can text message every employee in the company with a certain message. Now, a lot of messages have, you know, be healthy, be safe, vaccinate, you know, um, hey, did you know about the referral bonus? Don't forget about it, uh, that type of thing. So we're trying to keep it front burner. What happens is you do these initiatives and you get busy and then everybody kind of kind of forgets about it.
Um, and I'll be honest, so we we uh, we run it like we own it. We call up restaurants incognito, and uh, we we say, hey, do you, are you guys hiring? And do you have a referral bonus? And and we 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 kind of poll the team. And if a restaurant is lacking in the response that we'd like to do, we we are obviously um, try to do some behavior modification and and, and make them aware of it. Um, we also have email blasts, uh, social media, websites. We're out, out of we have it on billboards at times. Um, you can drive by the four or five or the ten, and you can see, you know, now hiring and bullets, that that type of referral. But uh, but the word of mouth is is what from from the from the team is really the best way to go. Fantastic. Now you've had a strong company culture historically at Norms, and you really build a a teamwork, you know, sense and a sense of family amongst the your staff as well. And it's all about keeping your good people happy, not just recruiting new people, but you got to keep the good people you have, you know, satisfied, motivated, moving forward in the organization, feeling like their opinions count and valued. Sure. You're you're doing all those things, I'm sure. Well. Uh, we're not perfect. I mean, I mean, it, it's really run through the general managers. The general manager is the most important person in the company mm-hmm. uh, because they control um, a multi-million-dollar property. They, they're in charge of the profitability. They're in charge of the people. They hire the people, um, and also, unfortunately, sometimes terminate. Um, right. Right, right. So, so we've won a couple of awards with TDN2K as far as. Um, uh, best practice awards for HR. You know, our tenure with our GMs is, is around 20 years for our GMs. Our assistance is about 14 years. Um, so, so I think we do things well. Um, and, but you have to offer 401k health insurance, um, good pay, you know, California, it's tough not to have a lot of these bells and whistles because sick pay, family leave are part of it, but then you have to add on to it. But the, but the biggest thing is, is how you treat people. Uh, it, how you, I, I tell a story. I, I worked for a company called Howard Johnson's when I was 14 years old. That was one of my favorite places growing up, and we went there often. So oh, I'm exactly. very familiar with the success of Howard Johnson's, and yeah, yeah that's Boston, iconic. I'm a Boston kid, and I wanted yeah. to buy some drums, and I forged my, my working papers, and I became a, a cook. And yeah. me and my buddy, the singer in the band and the guitar player in the band, we all worked as cooks, and... Uh, and we worked. We were the weekend cooks, and we'd go in at four a.m. We had keys and open up the place. And and I'll never forget this. Probably the worst day in the restaurant business I ever had was Mother's Day, at Howard Johnson's. It was our first Mother's Day, and uh, we get in. We have the prep list. We do the prep list made by the manager. I'll, I'll leave his name out of it. And uh, by ten o'clock in the morning, like the only thing we had was toast and sausages. We ran out of everything. People were crying, screaming. So. <laughs> So wow. he comes in the kitchen yeah. and he yells at us because we were sitting there kind of goofy and kind of, you know, what are you going to do? And he yelled at us and he, and I don't forget that he said, you better wise up because all you are is a social security number to me. Wow. Ooh, uh, what a message that was. Yeah. Yeah. So we worked the shift and we all flipped them our keys after that. And so my point is, is that we make mistakes, um, but we try to treat people fairly, you know, we, we, we talk about create your own destiny, uh, which allows people to be motivated and become, we have probably 50% of our management staff started out as hourly cooks or um, servers. Then they become shift leaders, shift supervisors, and then they come into the management program. So we do like to hire outside a little bit because of, of the needs, but yes, um, but, but that's just part of, that's just part of what, what you have to do. 
you know, if we make a mistake, uh, we, we try to we try to look into it. We, we, we have a policy that every person that we lose, separate, um, quits, whatever, um, we, we try to do a, uh, an exit interview with them because we're saying, what, you know, what happened? What, you know, was it the pay? Was it the atmosphere? Was it too busy? Did you move? That type of thing. Because we, we, we don't look at percents. We look at ca- people as casualties. If you lose a person and you ask one of my managers, um, we call it a casualty. And I don't want to talk about 30%, 40%, 50%. I want to talk about number of people that we lost and why. So we're constantly trying to figure that out. Do you find that people are really honest in these exit interviews and they tell it like it really is or they hold back sometimes? Does it vary from person to person? I, I think they're very honest in the exit interview because they don't, what do they have to lose? Nothing at that point. Yeah. Not, nothing at that point. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe they not, might not be as candid if you walk in the restaurant and go, Hey, how's it going? You know, you know, you might want to bite your, you might bite your tongue just sure. for whatever reason. Right. 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 But in the exit interview, they're pretty candid because there's, there's no risk involved. Well, that's all valuable feedback and information that it just improves your operation. Last question, Mike, really quickly, what advice, I mean, we've all been beaten up as operators over the past year. We're going on, you know, nearly a year and a half or more really with all these challenges. And if a restaurant is still standing, they're still operating, they really have to dig deep. What's your best advice to keep them going, you know, rediscover the passion. Maybe they got them into this business and to get to the other side, you know, with all the challenges that continue to hit us. Just don't give up. You know, you can have good days, you have bad days. You sit down there once in a while and go, geez, I should have been a lawyer. <laughs> like, what am I doing in the restaurant business? But it, it's a great industry. You're dealing with people. You're, you know, restaurants are around celebration, food. They are. Usually there's an occasion. You know, people like to eat, drink, and and just don't give up. Things will get better. And and the stronger restaurant companies that are doing the right thing will will attract the better people. It, it's it's not really complicated. You may not win every battle, uh, but but you can sustain yourself and, and get to a certain point. But we'll, we'll get through this. Uh, at some point, um, whether it's getting over COVID, getting over unemployment, um, getting bored, um, really needing to get to work, taking care of childcare so I can get to work with the, month, uh, the mothers, um, it, it will get better. Probably not for a while, um, but it will get better. Keep going. Well, that's great advice, Mike. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences, your expertise, your knowledge and advice with us today. And uh, that, again, was Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you in all the other episodes. Thank you so much. Thanks, Roger. Thank you, Mike. Have a good day and stay well. Thank you. Be safe. Welcome back, everyone, to Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch. With this show, we really hope to help operators through the crisis. With me today, Mr. Jordan Bosch. He is the CEO and founder of Seven Shifts, the all-in-one labor management platform. Jordan, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Roger. So as you know, um, operators are struggling. The pandemic was the worst of it. And then just when you think the pandemic is done, it's emerging again with different variants and the labor crisis is adding insult to injury and operators everywhere are struggling. And you see the signs driving down the street and everyone's, you know, there's even people stealing other people's employees at a restaurant parking lots. Like it's just awful. But the whole idea behind this show, of course, is to help operators with 
you know, ideas that, that have been proven or solutions that may work just to trigger thoughts that might help them through this crisis. So that's why uh, I've got you on the show. So thanks so much for being here. What have you seen out there, Jordan, in your own perspective, your own clients, businesses? What are, what are you seeing and what can you offer um, to the show, to the audience? Yeah, so we watched as when the pandemic hit, about 10% of restaurants closed down. Thankfully, only 1% of our customer customer base shut down. But during that time, yeah, we saw a lot of things change. And I think it there's there, there are some underlying issues that have always been issues within the restaurant industry that have surfaced as, you know, now much larger in issues that people are m- more vocal about. Um, and I think that, you know, pay and benefits, I think there's, there's, there's definitely some challenges there as it, as it becomes more of a mismatch for what the employees want and what the employers are willing to give. Um, and I've seen, I've seen, seen it go both ways where employers are holding out on potentially like increasing wages. Um, I've seen the opposite where employers have increased their wages um, and are having more success attracting folks. And, um, and I, and I, yeah, and I've seen folks, we've seen it in our system where menu prices increased 14% mm-hmm. um, to, you know, presumably cover the cost of having to hike wages. And so I think that there, there's all sorts of things that are happening out there. And, um, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're hopeful that some of these changes are um, going to be for the better longer term for the, the industry overall, but, but certainly around wages has been a hot topic. Yeah, you're mentioning a couple of different things that are hot points right now, because of course, when we're short staffed, I'm seeing restaurants that are closing their doors certain days of the week, they're shortening their hours. And when they are short staffed, I mean, business is booming right now. I mean, restaurants are are really filling their seats and customers are coming back in droves, yet we can't serve the demand. And Guests still have certain high expectations of the service experience, which is not being delivered. Yet you mentioned that lots of restaurants are forced to raise menu prices just to cover the cost of labor. And that is just a perfect storm of, you know, disgruntled customers. We're seeing, you know, angry customers kind of like flying in the air. You know, you hear on the news every day, all the people that, you know, for a variety of reasons are acting up on airline flights. They're doing that in restaurants, you know, instead of, raising prices, I see so many restaurants that just don't have profitable menus. And and their first thought is, oh yeah, I'm just going to hike my, you know, the price of um, the different menu items, but they don't realize that everything they're selling just isn't profitable. And if they did this whole new menu mix analysis that, you know, the key to really increasing profitability is, you know, having a very limited spread in each category among different items and all that sort of thing. And I see restaurants losing three, four, five dollars because this appetizer is the more popular appetizer than that one. And it's less profitable than that one. And it happens in every category. So that's one thing I'm seeing, you know, but again, um, it's, it's so challenging when other industries, and this is another point you raised, you know, we're trying to compete with industries that traditionally have paid higher and now they're struggling as well to find people. And you see the signs, you know, health benefits are being offered now and bonus sign on bonuses and all these things. And as you mentioned, restaurants that are traditionally a low margin business are just struggling to raise wages and to compete with other industries that are also looking for staff and to continue to serve a customer in a changing marketplace in a changing world. And, you know, it's just such a struggle for everyone right now. So you're, you're definitely raising, 
really good points. Have you seen any of your clients doing anything really interesting to attract new staff that seem to be working? I think the the whole like spiffing folks as like a one-time thing to get folks in the door. I mean, certainly people are offering that. <clears throat> I don't personally believe that that's a great long-term solution. Um, I think what you touched on around like folks don't even understand a lot of times if they're, the menu items are profitable. I think that is a, a good point. I think that, that's like an underlying issue of just like um, the, the, the loss of visibility around operating margins in restaurants in terms of like, a lot of operators just don't look at those, those uh, in, right. in, in such like a, a way that I think they should, because margins weren't always, you know, as low as they are um, today. Certainly not, um, you know, I was talking to operators that, you know, were operating for like 15 years ago. They're like, yeah, like they're, they're worse nowadays than they've ever been. They are. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of, um, you know, success with like QSRs that are just focused on one thing. You know, we do burgers and it's just like, you know, it's a very, and, and most of those are doing okay. <laughs> um, and so I think when, when I, when I look at creativity around what, what some of the folks that are doing in our system, um, yeah, I mean, they're, it, it, to me, it comes back to they're creating the environment in which you want to be a part of something. And that kind of comes with a few different flavors. So the culture is, a, is an important thing and like who you work with. Like when we surveyed our customer base, our employee base and said like, what do you care about the most? It wasn't pay. Mind you, this was pre-pandemic, but the number one thing employees cared about the most was like, I want to work with great coworkers. And how do you get great coworkers to all, you know, how do you, how do you get that right match? And I think that, um, so that work environment is an important thing and, and hiring based on some core values and, and um, lightweight things like that to kind of shape who you hire and, 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 and hiring for those behaviors to um, kind of get the word out and allow those people that are maybe, you know, great employees to hire other great employees. And that's typically what we've seen is they, they start to take like this, this hiring process a little bit more seriously and are even willing to pay more for this type of, these type of folks um, that end up getting through their process. So it's not something, and, and I, I know that a lot of independents, especially to like, you know what, I, I don't like core values, like what these are like for, for big companies. Like I don't have time to do that. It's crazy, but I, I'm not, I, I, I want to be clear. I'm not advocating for like a massive, huge corporate framework. I think just advocating for some simple behavioral norms that you um, want to build your environment by and, and, and get people bought into the mission of what you're doing and like why you do what you do and selling that story. I don't think operators really sell their story enough about like why they, they do what they do and the type of environment that you're going to work in and the opportunities you're going to have in that environment. And see, look, Sally or John over here, they've been here for three years or they're a manager now and, you know, this could, this could be you if you want it. And if not, that's okay. But, you know, I think there's so much more that people can do. I think they just use, I think for too long, we've just made it an excuse that, oh, we're in this industry and it's just the way it is. And, you know, I don't need to change much. So I mean, there's, I think the creativity is starting to show. Um, and there are operators that are being, you know, wildly successful right now. And there's obviously, unfortunately, some that aren't. I think you're hitting a foundational element. We're talking about creating a company culture and a chemistry amongst the team where it's fun. They want to be there. And yes, everyone works for a paycheck, but they also work to be fulfilled in what they're doing. And I think that that comes with leadership by example, as opposed to pre-pandemic. I mean, there were lots of managers out there that just 
barked orders and told people what to do versus nurturing and developing the talent they had, keeping them happy so that people want to be there because it's a fun, great team environment. I think that's awesome. Let's talk about that within your company because you're in the hospitality space and granted you're not running a restaurant, but you serve restaurants, but you mentioned that, you know, people aren't necessarily looking at the pay as much as they're looking at people they want to work with. Um, What's your mission statement? What's your company culture all about? And how do you nurture that and develop that and onboard new people? And, you know, let's talk about that because I think there's some key learnings there. Yeah. So our mission is to simplify team management and improve performance for restaurants. And a lot of the decisions we make as a company and as a product team center around that mission. And if it's not going to do, it's, if it's not going to improve the performance for a restaurant and um, simplify the team management side, like we, we just don't do it. Um, and so rallying people around that is, is really important, but we, we, we have a lot of like, just like a restaurant, we are a company. Um, and I want to just be clear that like, just because we're a tech company doesn't mean there aren't um, things that we can share that are go, go kind of hand in hand with running a company. And so when we established our core values, um, you know, it started with something I always give operators a very tangible example. It's, you know, just start with like who you would clone. Like if you could clone anyone in your restaurant, who would you clone? And it's like, everyone knows oh, this person and this person. Mm-hmm. Great. Right. Right. And write down all the things you, 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 you really admire about them and what make them really special and identifying those key traits and then invite those people into the room with you and say, Hey, John, Sally, we, we really, you know, want to build more team. We want to have more team members as part of this, this environment, just like you here are the things we think are great about you. Can you help us kind of like consolidate these and start to narrow down to what our oxygen traits are the ones we can't breathe without as it relates to, having an environment where the team is high functioning and people actually want to be here and, and vote on those and, you know, make them action based um, so that they can be demonstrable. So instead of using words like respect, like respect can mean a lot of things. So rather, what do you mean by that? Oh, I mean that someone listens well. Okay. Well then the the value is, is a good listener. And then you can, you can demonstrate that and you can be critical on whether or not that person is demonstrating being a good listener or not. Um, and you can hold them accountable to those things. Um, and then you roll it out to the company and you include those two folks or three folks that you thought were great because, you know, everyone looks up to them anyways, because if they are truly the best workers, other people around them know that. And it helps to get that 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 floor level buy-in from the employee saying, you know, when, when the managers and the operators leave the room where there's a few employees that go, they're like, guys, like, isn't this exciting? Like, this is kind of what we're all about. And, you know, we're going to be part of the hiring process and we, we want to build, make, make sure this is a great place for you folks to work and that you can feel safe, empowered and, and bought into what we're doing. And so anyway, that's just a very light way uh, of thinking about it that I think could go a long ways. I think that's applicable to any business or any industry. Exactly. I think that 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 made perfect sense. So thanks for sharing that. Let's talk now about um, your all-in-one labor management platform and just what Seven Shifts is all about, how it works, what it does, and how that can benefit you know operators right now during the crisis. Tell us all about it. Yeah. So we um, are a team management platform for the restaurant industry with a core focus around scheduling and and uh, engagement. So what I mean by that is we help operators. Um, schedule and set labor targets. And we, we forecast using um, the historical data that we pull in from point of sales. And we provide a mobile app for employees as they, they can check their shifts, trade shifts, um, upon manager approval, of course, um, communicate with their coworkers 
and uh, stay in the loop, honestly. And um, so we, we, we kind of wanted to take a spin on this uh, from the engagement perspective that um, we want it to let be a le- less of a top-down approach, rather, rather a top-down, bottoms-up. So constant kind of feedback going back and forth as it relates to um, having that flexibility that the employees want, but also meeting the needs of that operator in terms of what their business needs. And I think that those, those need to meet. And, um, and so we, we've taken a big emphasis on that. So we don't just build um, only for the operator. That is certainly a big focus, but we also build tools for the employees to ensure that they're engaging at the level that that employer needs. So um, we look at building across what we refer to the, as, as the employee life cycle. So everything from the moment an employee is hired in a restaurant, they're trained, scheduled, they're then paid after they work their shifts using a payroll company, then they're effectively retained. So we um, recently pulled out some tip management solutions. Um, Wonderful. That's and so important right now. Where, where folks can, um, you know, eventually also get, um, um, you know, get, get their, get their tips and, and have them distributed appropriately and um, looking at how we can further make that experience easier for restaurant operators and, and the employees. Um, but in terms of where we focus and, and the impact we want to have, it's really centered around that employee life cycle. I really like the, um, the voice that you're giving staff within an organization. Can we elaborate a little bit more there? Because I think it's so important for people to think that their ideas matter and that their voice is heard and that it's not just do this job and, you know, their boss doesn't care about <laughs> what they think about it. It's like, that's your job. That's how you do it. But no, I think it's so important right now to, you know, to give people flexibility if possible in schedules. It sounds like you can do that with this program. You can sort of trade schedules with other people or shifts. I mean, and also interact with management and tell them, you know, how things are working or back and forth. It's an idea sharing platform as well. I'm, I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the shift in seven shifts, you'll, as an employee, you'll get a push notification to your phone saying, Hey Roger, how was your shift today? And smiley face, sad face, neutral face, write some That's comments. Great. And it's stuff like that where, you know, it's, it's, the, it's all about the lightweight pieces of feedback. Like, it, it doesn't need to be a huge, heavy-handed process. It's just mere, merely keeping a pulse on your staff. Um, how are they doing? Trying to um, encourage and understand, um, you know, how they're how they're feeling. And um, ideally, in our in our product, like if, if we notice folks are always clocking in on time, they're working shifts for others, they're picking up shifts for others, they're saying that they're, they're enjoying their shifts. You know, that's a really healthy employee, um, and you should try and keep them engaged. <laughs> yes. um, if, if all of a sudden that employee that was once really engaged starts dropping all their shifts and that's weird because they work Fridays all the time because they get paid more, but now they're dropping their Friday shifts and they're not paying up shifts for others. And they're saying that they're having negative shifts when they work with specific managers. That's probably information you want to know as an operator because there may be a manager mishire um, that's looming. That's going to create a toxic environment. And we've seen that with operators that use our product where there was a mismanagement hi- or a mishire on the management side and they got all the engaged scores dropped and then they got rid of the manager and all the engaged scores went back up. So it's that pulse when you can't be there to see the day to day as an operator, because you're busy right. doing a million things right. that we want to have some kind of, you, you just want your finger on the pulse. That's a wonderful piece of the pie right there. That What you just said is so important in so many restaurants because, yeah, there's a lot of owner operators that have multiple units and they have other businesses and they're out of touch. 
you know, in addition to the independent operator that's there 24 seven, but it just makes so much sense to get a pulse on how things are going on a daily basis. And boy, that gives you so many different red flags and points out the problems that you have so you can solve them before it becomes, like you say, a toxic environment. And then that gives people so many reasons to move on to another employer. And one of the key things you need to do right now is keep your good people happy, keep them motivated, exactly. you know, keep them productive and keep them making friends with your customers on the floor every, every day that you're open. Fantastic, Jordan. Thanks so much. How can people find seven shifts? You want to give them a URL? course uh they can visit www.7shifts.com that's the number seven and then the word shifts like shift work um just plural.com and uh yeah if you, you can poke around there you can explore a lot of different things that we have to offer on the site whether it's um, course scheduling needs um time and attendance payroll integrations pos integrations um task management compliance uh we do a lot of that that stuff as our core so you could sign up for a free trial and and try it out Fantastic. So there's a free trial, and I guess that's why you call it the all-in-one labor management platform because it does so much. Fantastic, Jordan. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for being with us today. This is, of course, Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch, and our goal is to help operators find solutions to the labor crisis challenge. With me today, Mr. Juan Igueros, and he is from a company called Bear Robotics. He is the chief operating officer. Welcome to the show today, Juan. Thanks for being with us. Roger, thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to get a chance to talk to you about um, what's happening in the restaurant industry these days. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, you and I were just talking about opportunity, and I actually came across your company at San Antonio at uh, Performance Foods uh, Service Show there, and uh, I just saw it this really unique robot. We're going to talk all about the survey robot, but before we do, tell us a little bit about Bear Robotics. You know, you're the co-founder as well as the chief operating officer. So tell us how old is your company? Um, what was the brainchild for it? And tell us what you do. Very good question. The company was started in May of 2017. So we're still somewhat uh, considered to be babies in this industry, but um, we actually uh, started the company by owning a restaurant ourselves, believe it or not. Our CEO, who's one of our other co-founders, uh, his name is John Hall. He actually, um, while he was working away at Google, decided to enter the lion's den and actually buy a restaurant himself. <laughs> With that came understanding that it is insanely difficult to run a restaurant, just one. And so, um, you know, he bought a Korean restaurant over in Milpitas, California, back in around 2016. So prior to this company actually being started. And so... He came up with the concept of really how can we actually improve the what each server is actually doing each day? Because um, there's the thought process back then was really there's got to be a much more efficient way to allow our servers in our own restaurant to really focus much more time on spending more time on the front of the house rather than in a Korean restaurant. You have many, many side dishes and even having to go into the back of the house sometimes hundreds of times a day. So this is kind of the inception of how Bear Robotics was created, to be honest with you, because um, in our early days, we had a very live lab, real-time lab to work with on early prototypes. And so we joke that our early team members probably logged the Guinness World of <laughs> world of Record in terms of programming a robot in a real-time restaurant, because that's essentially what we're doing with our early prototypes. But that's how the creation, the inception of the company actually happened. And here we are nearly four and a half years later about to deploy these all over the United States. 
Well, you know, they say timing is divine. And, you know, the pandemic has absolutely devastated our industry. And then just when you think the pandemic is over, you know, for the past year or so, you know, the labor crunch has really hit us really hard. So it's like operators have been beaten up really, really badly. And now it's about what can we do if you're still standing as an operator, if you've gone through all the worst of it and you're still open and you're doing the best you can, now's the time to really dig deep, rediscover, you know, the passion, why you got into this industry in the first place, because brighter days are ahead. So before we get into the survey robot, which really intrigues me, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of your customers or clients, other restaurants, you know, this company was started started by starting a restaurant, which is very similar to my story 26 years ago. But let's talk a little bit about any best practices or advice that you might have for operators on other things that they can do to save labor, to find new sources of labor, you know, besides bonuses and incentives that go without saying, we've talked a lot about that. Any unique ways of finding new people or, you know, keeping the good people you have happy, any of those things would be important one. Yeah, it's interesting because these days, I mean, um, the jury's kind of still out in terms of whether or not uh, some of the workers that actually left the industry over the last 18 months, whether they'll be coming back. And so the existing restaurant owners, especially the folks that we are working with today, and we're deployed in probably over 20 states at this point, but we want to be in all 52 within the next six months, but or all 50 states within the next six months. But I think, um, you know, I think realistically, the existing staff that's actually on hand right now. Uh, is really having to, they're just physically exhausted. Um, You're right. A lot, of, a, lot, a lot of folks are either, you know, there's, you, you hear a lot about the um, the open roles that are going unfilled at this point. And so, um, you know, I don't know whether it's low wages that have kept um, folks from coming back and or perhaps it's the Delta variant that actually has kept people just from coming back in, in droves. However, um, you know, the folks that are actually working, they're working two shifts a day. Uh, it's a physically grinding uh, nature of work that you actually have to really go through. And so it requires a lot of running around. And I think a lot of a lot of what we've seen lately, uh, in addition to that, is the high stress, meaning the high stress that's coming actually from customers, because folks Thank are being you. existing staff that's actually on site right now. They're actually they're being asked to. So if if a restaurant is actually underserved by 30 percent of its staff, that means the existing staff are actually having to cover that ground. And so. I mean, you know, some folks that um, I don't know if they when, they when they left the industry, whether they may have found something that will be more desirable for their lifestyle. But the restaurants across the country that we're actually seeing now um, realistically are trying to figure out and get creative uh, in terms of how they help their staff. And so that's, um, you know, we want to try to the, the tool that we're, we're, we're providing is to really try to help the, the small and medium sized businesses as well as uh, even big chains are really getting creative in terms of how they can actually help the existing staff um, really kind of be a lot more efficient with what they're doing in terms of what they're doing day to day and uh, not having to carry their load. Thanks so much for pointing that out. You're absolutely correct because we, you know, the news headlines really talk about crazy people in the air on airline flights that are causing all sorts of disruptions because of masks, because of no masks, because of, right. you know, poor service, because of crowded conditions. You know, people are back on airplanes in record numbers. People are back in restaurants in record numbers. And the same thing is happening in the hospitality industry. Restaurants are, like you say, they're underserving their customers because they're short staffed. Customers have certain expectations because they're paying higher prices in many cases because of rising food costs and everything else, but they're getting less than superior service and they're taking it out on the staff that are, like you said, are working double shifts. They're absolute at their wits end. So it's really been a perfect storm of, you know, of chaos out there. And now it's like, how do we get back to normal? Because none of this is sustainable. 
<laughs> agreed. Agreed. I mean, um, uh, you know, it's interesting to see that, um, you know, our, our overall mission is really to, to help people. I mean, in the end, um, this, by this, I mean, the people, whether it's small and medium sized businesses, and most people don't realize that the restaurant industry, the large majority of it is actually small and medium sized businesses. You always hear right. about the big chains, the big chains get the big kind of, you know, the, the pizzazz or kind of the, the, the big name recognition, but most restaurant, uh, most of the restaurant industry is made up of small business owners, whether you have a small mom and pop that has one, two or three restaurants, or even it's always surprising to me. And I always am. So, am uh, I'm just, um, when I look at, uh, folks that have been able to grow from one or two or three restaurants to 20, it's so remarkable to see that because it's so difficult, but you have, you have to be major kudos to those restaurant owners that are able to do that. But in the end, um, our mission is really to really try to help um, uh, continue to serve and help um, people because realistically what you want to do in the end, regardless of who you are, you want to ha- help provide, like you mentioned, that best service that you can. And so what you what we're trying to do is really how to automate those backbreaking tasks that people hate to do anyway, whether it's running back and forth and things like that, because in the end, hopefully that will become a better overall culture for a restaurant staff and really kind of help maintain people with you because as you know, the turnover can be just significantly high and it always has been that way. So for sure, we really want to shift the future of work, of what a restaurant work means, or even what a server's work means, or even folks that are actually operating, you know, front back of house. Well, let's dive into the survey robot here. Now, this is so interesting because, like I said, um, I was at the San Antonio Performance Food Service show. I came across this thing. It just stopped me in my tracks. And I'm like, how cool is that? I see it as a marketing hook. I see it as a labor-saving device. I see it as something really interesting and unique for the customer experience. Let's talk about what it does and how it works. Well, I'm really proud to say that uh, the survey that you saw is the only robot to have now the um, NSF certification to actually be able to deliver uh, all of your food and uh, anything inside of a inside of a front of a house or even moving into the back of the house of a restaurant, uh, it's the only one in the nation to to be able to actually we can actually now safely say that. Um, but basically, what you what you have there in front of you is a, it's a robot basically with um, has a top tray, a middle tray. Uh, in a bus tub on the bottom, there are three speaking. There you go. go. You've got three, you got three cameras basically in the robot. Um, you've got a lidar on the very bottom, and that's used really primarily for um, you know detecting obstacles as well as uh, location mapping when we go out and actually set it up. But um, it really, it's a part of how you know the the cameras on it is really kind of it's able to how it's able to see and detect whether it's a table a child, or let's say you may have a purse or uh, you may have, I don't know, uh, when you have a family, sometimes you'll have obviously the booster seats and things like that. So everything that we've been able to actually test and run in front of hundreds of thousands of real-time customers now, the robot itself is able to go, it's self-driving technology indoors. And so it's able to go from point to point, whether it's a, uh, from, a, from an expediter station to a table, deliver your food for you. There's white sensor on each each and every single tray. And uh, once food is taken off, it immediately returns back to an expediter station. Or you can send it to multiple tables and, uh, and, and, and what we call is a patrol mode for that. So you can send it to, let's say, uh, an actual station. A server may have four or six tables that they're monitoring and uh, send it out to a server. And then they get the, the last piece of the interaction. That kind of 
human touch that we're trying to bring back to hospitality uh, to actually allow for that, um, which is what servers really enjoy the most. It's like that creative aspect of really engaging with customers and really bringing service back to what this is all about, which is hospitality. So, um, you know, we also have software uh, that we've developed on uh, for, for our robot that allows us to really check the health of a robot, whether it's in Masula, Montana, or in Tokyo, Japan. So, Oh, remotely. You can, remotely, you can plug can, in. Troubleshoot, and we can actually wow. uh, help support that. So that helps has helped us quite a bit in order to be able to scale and grow and really um, put this. Uh, we've actually, most of our business to begin was in Japan and in Korea. Now it's really starting to get adoption um, pretty pretty big in, uh, in the United States as well. Walk us through the process one. Let's just say I own a restaurant and I just brought in Servi and we're going to use it for the very first time. Who programs it to go to tables? Is How does the orders interact with it? Yeah. What, how many servers get involved or back of house, front of house people? Just walk us through the process of it actually yeah. delivering something to a guest. The initial step is usually uh, when deploying is really one of our field uh, team members basically comes out to, to map the physical area mm -hmm. uh, on site. And, uh, and basically what that means is, um, the, 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 you know, you, you kind of drive the robot around and to really kind of go through the boundaries of the area where the robot will operate in. Mm -hmm. um, the lighter that I mentioned earlier will scan the area while you manually drive the robot around. Think of it like, um, the best analogy I can give you is like when you were a kid and you learned how to, how to color, you learned how to color in the lines, right? Right. right. That's yes. All you're doing. And so, yes. I mean, a restaurant is, 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 it's a pretty simple process to set up because usually restaurants are not huge. Now we are operating in some very, very big venues like restaurants inside of casinos and restaurants inside of sports arenas recently. We just recently started with the NBA and some other folks, but like, you know, most restaurants are not like tens of thousands of square feet. They're, you know, generally pretty easy to set up. You can set up a, a, a survey to be run that same morning, basically within an hour, hour and a half. But um, the, the work that requires uh, kind of interacting with staff is really we we'll try to find like either the, the onsite manager or staff to really try to address what points they wanted to go to, whether it's to um, a, an actual table or in certain cases, um, we have what's called dispatch stations. So it'll go to an actual dispatch station, deliver the food to that area, and then the server will take it, as I mentioned to you. But either will work because naturally now, when it goes to a table, customers will actually just take it off of it. So as I mentioned earlier, there's the, the once food is taken off of a robot, it actually will detect it and, and zero itself out and come back to the expedited station because there are weight sensors on each, uh, on each level. Maybe you mentioned this and I missed it. Is there any way that the robot detects the customer taking the correct order? If it's going to multiple tables, does it beep because it knows what order goes with which table? Or am I getting ahead of myself? We, we're going to actually be implementing that because there are, um, there are a few ways that it's being done now where the actual ticket is actually put on each level. And so folks will, will be able to see that uh, the food that's coming to their particular table is designated for that particular I see. table number and or, and or it's like, let's say it's a, it's a burger that's well done versus a burger that's medium, whatever. The ticket on the actual tray will actually tell the user who's, who's getting what. Not, but in, in other cases, what we've seen is usually the server will actually be in or around that area and provide that last piece of service as well. So, so there is a personal touch involved, plus the coolness of the robot. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it also keeps, most importantly, it keeps that server 
in or around where the customers are. Think of it like, you know, in a casino floor, you have, you have that mm-hmm. pit boss, but actually it's kind of constantly monitoring the floor. That's really what you want your servers to do. They, yes. A lot, you don't need them going back and forth hundreds of times a day to the back of the house because it really prevents understanding where, what, what a customer's needs are. And so that customer experience is what we're trying to get back to is really kind of elevating that customer experience so that servers went out because believe it or not, uh, especially in our in our deployments since we've had since in Florida we really really started uh, a lot of deployments in South Florida in May and we've seen tip incomes go up significantly like that's awesome 25 or 30 percent which is great because servers are really kind of much more yeah. engaged that's great um, so in that sense I think it's really really been helpful so for server wins out meaning meaning the staff actually love it obviously you know it helps the owner really kind of get that increased kind of folks coming back and you know in the end if a customer experience is elevated you kind of hit all three marks so that's what we're trying to do and that's where the tagline comes in survey runs and you serve i mean that's great that's correct yeah and because um there are these uh a lot of the what we tried to think about back you know four years ago is what can be automated uh there's a lot of things in the back of the house that can be automated whether it's preparation of food and or perhaps uh, you know dishwashing and things like that those things can all be automated to help but in the front of the house it's kind of that running back and forth there's really uh, it doesn't uh, if you can kind of keep folks in the front of the house it really will allow for a much more um meaningful experience for folks to come back to you and i think that's really what we're trying to help with this tool so that's why we developed it <laughs> All right. So you have, do you have two or three different sizes of the survey? I know there's a mini, right? One for drinks and then there's the main survey and then there's uh, something for bus buckets as well. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've, uh, we've really tried to make it, uh, we've designed it in a versatile way so that it can be used for beverage running. So it can be used for food running. Um, in addition to that, um, imagine like, a very busy Friday night, you've got, let's say, many, many families coming through. So in order, you can actually call the robot to your location, clean off that table, get the party of the the family of four or five, literally, you know, that kind of area cleaned very, very fast, send the robot to the dishwashing station. You as a server don't have to do that. Right. Carry around 30, 40, 50 pounds of finished dishes. Uh, And then obviously you can go and actually attend to the new get the new arrivals the new guests and actually get them seated turn uh turn that uh, uh table quickly so really these are the types of things that we're really trying to help kind of implement so that it just in- it becomes a much more efficient operation um for the future of the restaurant industry and for the future of how folks will work in it you know having family style restaurants myself for two decades i often i i learned a long time ago that the kids often determine where the family goes out to eat and they want to go to the fun place and suddenly here's something very unique that the kids are going to be all over and they're going to want to go to this restaurant because they have a survey right that's a that's the hook part i think that's beautiful yeah it's very interesting because um you know we, we we started in the restaurant space that's our bread and butter um so obviously we've been able to work with some very big names that everybody will know but there's also um you know family entertainment concepts as i mentioned to you earlier we're actually um we've started in some arenas lately and you know you've heard of the big family entertainment concepts like uh like a dave and busters or even like yes, these big, um, mm-hmm. 
obviously in like a main event, that kind of thing. That's really, you've got significantly large walking distances and things like that. And we'll probably eventually be in movie theaters because a lot of movie theaters now are actually changing to a different model where you actually go in. It's like you're, you're, you're sitting in a very nice, uh, comfortable um, couch uh, and you get food kind of served out to you. But uh, again, those are all opportunities that I think we'll, um, we'll go after. And we want to kind of be, there's a lot of different ways if you think about it. There's restaurants really all in, in any, uh, in so many different situations, in so many different areas that we, uh, we want to hopefully help uh, the staff with. So we're, we're looking forward to what the future holds. So I'm assuming there's a charging station and it takes a certain amount of time to recharge. Like how long does a survey operate on a charge and how long does it take to recharge and all those types of things? The, so our, our current, um, uh, battery can last, um, up to about 12 hours. And so that should be enough for a typical shift. Yeah, um, for sure. There are restaurants, uh, you know, we, as I mentioned to you, we had started, uh, um, uh, initially deploying the adoption in, uh, in, in Japan has been really quite high. There are some restaurants that are actually open much longer hours, but, um, what we try to do is, uh, well, right now we just charge right into a wall. And so, um, the charging time is to get fully charged is about two to three hours. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know, to be f- when it's fully charged, a 12 hour uh, operating time frame is usually enough for most restaurants. Um, but if it's needed for more than 12 hours, usually during a downtime, um, uh, staff will actually charge it to kind of top it off, essentially. So very similar to kind of like anything else that you have, whether it's your phone or if you have, if you happen to have a Tesla, <laughs> maybe, you know, you're always kind of like, you know, trying to continue to do that and everybody has to face that. So, um, but in, we're working on some really interesting things that's going to be, uh, coming out hopefully next year where, um, we really want to make, um, it, uh, seamless where, um, the robot will basically charge itself. So we'll go to a docking station, but we, we're trying to figure out how to do that wirelessly. So that's something that's uh, to come, which should be pretty interesting. Well, that's excellent. I think you've given us lots of information, not only about solutions to the labor crisis, but something really unique that you should take a look at in your restaurant. I think it's really cool. Why don't you tell us your website URL so people can find uh, the survey? We are at www.bearrobotics, B-E-A-R-R-O-B-O-T-I-C-S dot A-I, because it's robotics and artificial intelligence coming to the restaurant industry. We can't wait to... uh, to do as much as we can for for the industry. Well, thanks so much, Juan, for being with us. And thanks, operators, for tuning in to Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch. We'll see you in another installment. Thank you to our audience, as always, for tuning in. We sincerely hope that this episode gives you renewed strength, inspiration, and ideas to help you handle and solve your own labor crisis that's going on. Also, a big shout out of thanks to our sponsors of this episode, Seven Shifts, RunningRestaurants.com, The Lease Coach, Up and Go, America's Best Restaurants, and our diamond sponsor, Performance Food Service. Thanks to all who made this episode possible. And stay tuned. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be featuring episode number two on Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch. You know, I'm a big believer that there are three foundational elements of any successful restaurant. The most successful restaurants follow this formula. Number one, staff training, development, recognition, and rewards to build what I call your dream team. Number two, cost controls and maximizing profit. And number three, what I call marketing firepower 
and affinity. This is really the magic formula for any successful restaurant operation. You can find them all at restaurantrockstars.com. It's called the Restaurant Rockstars Academy, and it's your roadmap to success. So check that out. If you have any challenges or pain points keeping you up at night, or you'd just like to ask me a question, go about halfway down the show notes to this episode and you'll see a button, Ask Us Anything. Well, you can record a message that'll come straight to me and I'll record my answer back at you. And you might even hear your question in an upcoming episode of the podcast. So make sure to leave us a message. Thanks everyone and stay well. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.